Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Colin Carter podcast. Live in studio from Salt Lake City. We're so happy today to bring you more information, content for raising kids, parenting, mental health, keeping our kids safe and protected this crazy world they're growing up in. Let's get started. What? I am so happy today to be in studio here with two of my now good friends. I asked to come in on this Corona Friday. <laughs> happy Friday to you both. Uh, my friends Haley and Alyssa, and uh, these two uh, people uh, I met. I spoke at your guys's at the girls' school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then um, I did the high school with you before that. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And we met that way, and it was so fun to go talk uh, to the girls at your place uh, down there. Uh, what is it called again? Provo School. Or Provo Canyon School. Provo Canyon School. That mm-hmm. was so fun. Yep. Uh, anyways, so in studio I have uh, Haley Mayer, mm-hmm. CSW, and Alyssa Damron. Not Damron. <laughs> Darren LCSW. Uh, two very, very awesome. Young, pumped, excited to help young people who go out and help teenagers all across the spectrum. So backgrounds. Uh, Haley, background. How did you get into this? And then Alyssa. Um, well, I went, um, I used to work in residential treatment as a staff. So I did like the day-to-day, how they're doing, things like that. Um, after a while, I took a break and then after a little bit of time, went and did my master's program for my MSW, so master's in social work, and did not think I'd be going back into residential. So I was working at high school and I did some um, nonprofit agency stuff and then eventually came down here. So that's kind of how it started. Awesome. Very cool. And you just work at Provo Canyon School right now and all this other stuff that we got some cool stuff we're working on. Yes. Which is super in. Very cool. (laughs) Alyssa, hit us with... Uh, how you got into this uh, amazing world called mental health, et cetera. <laughs> Mine was kind of a long journey. Um, oh, let me get the long journey music going. Hold on. Oh, let's mm-hmm. just yeah, let's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she's got some, uh, she's got a long journey. Go ahead. Tell us about the long journey. Mm-hmm. Let's go back in time here. It was 2000. It was 2001. 2011, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Weren't you in high school in 2011 still? I swear. No. You guys are young. No. <laughs> Not quite. That's right. We're young and hip. 2010. <laughs> graduate. No. There we go. Anyway. Good try. <laughs> Moving on from that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was in my undergrad and I could not figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. I hadn't even picked a major. It was my junior year. I was all out of um, generals to take and basically out of classes. Time. So I kind of just yellowed uh. it and picked <laughs> intro to social work. And I sat down the first day and we talked about what social work was and, and the field of mental health. And I was like, ooh gonna do this one yeah and so then I just jumped in all the way um I've been blessed to work at several different places some you know how you have like good days and growing days I also think you have good jobs and growing jobs jobs <laughs> not bad jobs growing they're jobs. growing jobs I That's grew it. a lot as a person I grew to learn what I did like and what I did not. did that like. job suck no I grew it was I a grew job. <laughs> <laughs> I grew in size and the amount of chocolate I ate my emotional capacity my emotional <laughs> decreased actually I shed Seriously. a lot of tears Anyway, but, um, yeah, so I've done medical social work. I worked with severely persistently mentally ill. We call them the, well, I think people in the media would call them like criminally insane. Mm. Um, Mm. worked with those people. And then one of my really good friends from grad school actually reached out to me and she was like, Hey, we're hiring at this place, Provo Canyon school. And at that point I was like, yeah, I need something else. Mm. I'll apply. And then I got hired and, um, yeah, now work with 
teenage girls in a psychiatric residential treatment facility, and it's a good time. Intense. Some, some still call them criminally insane. <laughs> 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 They're not quite. They're I was there. Crazy. That was a few months ago, and that was so fun. It's so mm-hmm. it's one thing I've learned doing this for a couple of years, and I'm not. Uh, I'm I didn't go to school for this stuff. I'm not a therapist, but one thing I've seen is like, man, these kids today are awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, they struggle because everyone struggles. It just now we talk so much about it. It's so much easier to get help, and it's so much easier. But man, we made it so tough to be a kid today. Mm-hmm. Society, culture, and then we threw social media, and then we threw twenty four seven bullying, and then we this already hyper sexualized environment of American culture. Then throw on TikTok and throw on Snapchat <laughs> and throw on, you know, sex exploitation and kids getting hit for nudes. I mean, it's a tough. I'm it's such a hard time. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, to be a, a perfectly functioning anyone right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you always see those memes or whatever that float around on Facebook or Instagram. That's like on the left side, it's like me at age 13 and then kids today at age 13. <laughs> yeah. And there's such a huge contrast, right? I was oh in braces. Gosh. I look like a dork. There's yeah. a reason we will not have a video montage at my wedding because I think he'll run when he sees what I used to look like. <laughs> I'm going to tell them there was a fire. There was a yes, big please. fire. Burned. Everything from when I was two. But I think that's just a perfect example of the fact that I feel like because of what kids are exposed to these days, the topics that they talk about, the things that they have to deal with, it's like they had to grow up Mm -hmm. and deal with these really big issues so much more quickly than we did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most kids, I think the stuff that we saw, I'm not too much older than you. They, you didn't see till you're like 14, 15, 16, kids are seeing it like seven, eight, nine. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. parents are like, why is my kid growing up so fast? Like, well, uh, have you not looked around? Yeah, I mean, look around mm-hmm. you. Look around you. Uh, so you guys, uh, you guys deal, uh, you've, been, you've been across the whole spectrum, Haley working in schools and seeing it before, it's like a huge problem, just dealing with kids that have the issues when they come in to talk to you. Yeah. I have, I don't feel good. I'm, I have anxiety. I'm depressed. I... And now you go on and you, you help, uh, as a, as side hustle, like <laughs> at primary children's. Yeah. So I'm in the primary children's emergency department. So mm-hmm. I'm a crisis social worker. So and so what does that mean? So, um, a crisis social worker, um, the part that's relevant to this, I'll just explain that there's definitely more to the job. Um, but any kid that comes in who is having anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, behavioral issues, right? Parents will bring their kid to the emergency room to get evaluated. And I'm the person who evaluates. Right. So I sit down with the parent, the kid, Mm -hmm. the guardian, whoever, and try to get this snapshot in time of what's going on and determine their level of safety. Can, are they safe enough to go home? Can we connect with them with resources or do we need a higher level of care to keep them safe? Uh, And that job is busy. Yes. Um, We live in Utah. I know it's, it's a problem everywhere, but how many would you guess on a typical week uh, kids are coming in for suicide attempts and things like this? Um, and how is that? Has it obviously it's grown, but I mean, has it grown up quite a bit over the last yeah, five years? Yeah, so I so back in I did my internship in grad school at Primary Children's in the ED, and when I talked to my direct supervisor there, I was like, "How's it been? Like, you know, these suicidal evals or you know whatever?" And she was like, "Oh, over the past couple of years, we've had an exponential increase." So since then, I was kind of out of it, and then, <clears throat> you know, within the past seven months, I um, started working there as as PRN, and even since then, we've hired more therapists or more social workers because the load is so high. Yeah. Um, and I think it's tricky because when you have a kid that's really unsafe, right, and they can't contract for safety and they need to go to a higher level of care, we recommend acute inpatient psychiatry. And we have multiple throughout the state of Utah. Um, but one of the biggest challenges we've seen is that we will often have kids come in and there are no beds mm-hmm. because they're all full. 
Like there's no space for them to go. It's that bad. There's not enough. It's that bad. I was called in. Um, I got a text. This was probably, I want to say this was like in February maybe, but I got a text from, from my boss who basically was like, we have this many kids on the floor who need to be evaluated because they've had ingestions or whatever. We have this many kids in the ED, whoever can help, like, please come in. And we did 22 evals that day Jeez. on crisis kids. I did four evals in five hours, Jeez. you know, because, oh, and sometimes like a lot of parents, like they don't know what to do. Yeah. So they go to the ER because, and that's a, that's awesome. Like, please bring your child to the ER. Don't be afraid don't, to bring them <laughs> do in. Do not be afraid. That's yeah. what I'm going to tell you. Don't be afraid. Um, because at the very least, if they're not going to go inpatient, you're going to get connected to resources. They'll give you ideas. And a lot of it is just informational. A lot of time that I send with parents is, let me get the story of what's going on and let me tell you what's out there. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys deal just with girls at the school. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the issues, of course, have no respect or gender. Definitely not. And any no. of that kind of stuff. Uh, talk about at your school and the girls that you're dealing with. A lot of them have had multiple issues with mental health. Mm -hmm. um, what do you guys, what do you see as kind of like this trend of these issues and what, uh, what are the girls facing and what do you guys think is some of the root causes that's getting a kid on that path? By the time they get to you, we got some big problems, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where do you feel that path is starting and uh, how are they getting to you? Because that's what, I mean, parents want the best for their kids. Mm -hmm. They don't have to end up kids for a psyche valve for a suicide attempt. And then with you inpatient, yeah. you know, prison boarding school for girls who are struggling, <laughs> whatever it's called, right? Yeah. So what would you say to that? So, I mean, first off, for our school, just if anyone doesn't know what it is, Provo Canyon School is a residential treatment center. They're brought there as an inpatient. It's a lockdown facility. So, I mean, we are the one end of the spectrum for sure. We're not like... All thrown, we're psychiatric. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like severely mentally. Yeah. Severe mental health. So it's not like your kid comes to say they're suicidal and mm -hmm. they automatically get thrown in there. It's, this is... A different situation um, than the normal, I think, go-to. So with our kids, we have a wide variety. We have kids who are in-state, and a lot of those, a lot of it's the persistent depression, anxiety, um, substance abuse issues. Most of the ones in-state I've seen are substance abuse issues, I'd say, that mm. tie yeah. in with that. Um, and then we also have, in general, it's the bigger issues, too, of school districts and their kids because there's a lot of truancy, which is because of those issues, they also have been, um, I mean, a lot of them have been exploited for sexual purposes online, and then that draws a lot of trauma, which, again, starts more substance, all those things. Um, we have schizophrenia. We have, I mean, DID. We have a lot of reasoning. Mm -hmm. So, But most of our kids, the root cause of it is that they have um, an inability to keep themselves safe in the setting they have, and that's why they've been brought to a lockdown facility. They don't have the resources themselves or their family or wherever they're around to keep themselves physically safe where they don't have to be in a lockdown placement. So we see a lot of definitely the one end of the spectrum of behaviors, um, but a lot of these things are things that they've been talking about with their therapist outside of here. I mean, I, I do follow-up calls with a lot of the therapists who recommended their student to come here, um, and told the families like, Hey, get them involved. And they're pretty much saying the same thing as what I'm working on with them of, we were just working on basic coping skills. That's all they could handle. That's all we're trying to get to them. Um, and so you don't really see a lot of the kids. It's not like I'm doing a huge therapeutic plan. We're usually just working on the basics with them because they don't know how to handle their basic emotions of when I'm feeling out of control, how can I keep myself safe when that's <coughs> happening rather than using something that's unsafe, like cutting, um, substances, bad relationships, really poor boundaries with peers or older people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I mean, those are the kind of the issues we're seeing the most. And it always usually 
I mean, for me, I'd say 99% of the time it's, well, 95 because 5% of the time they do need a, like a schizophrenic kid needs a med sure, or else they're not going to be able to handle basic functioning in general. But the rest of the kids, I'd say 95% of the time we're just assessing for basic coping skills. If they mm-hmm. can even just handle us saying, no, you can't use the bathroom right now. You can use it in two minutes when I have a minute to open it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what at least I'm seeing. I don't know if that's the same with you. Yeah. Well, and I think going, kind of going back to your question of like, what's maybe the trend, where does it start? Right. Mm-hmm. And I would say probably the biggest trend is a breakdown in the family system. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we have kids from all over the spectrum, so to speak of family dynamics. And we have kids that are um, born into families that actively abuse them mm-hmm. physically, sexually, emotionally. We have a lot of kids that have experienced neglect. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of kids that are in the system, so to speak, right? They've been removed from family, multiple kids that literally have nowhere to go when they leave us, right? They don't have family connections. Um, and we also have some kids that are born into, you know, like a seemingly normal structured family that still struggle. Some kids honestly just born are born with these different challenges that kind of exist within them. And sometimes the problems are created. Um, and as time goes on, right, you see these kids learn these maladaptive skills, as we call them, our maladaptive coping skills, maladaptive in layman's terms is like negative or unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that, those, those behaviors are them trying to meet a need, mm-hmm. right? The drugs, the aggression, even like the kids that go like the early um, sexual, whatever, sure. right. They're trying to meet a need, you know, their basic needs of safety and love and connection, um, are not being met. And so they seek really unhealthy things. And then it just kind of downward spirals into now I have severe depression. Mm-hmm. I have severe PTSD. I've been traumatized over and over and over again. And it starts, you know, when they're small and in the family unit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are taking what they see as their older, um, whoever it is, family, parents, older sibling, whoever, and seeing them having a negative um, search for that need and them saying, well, if this is quote unquote working for them, then this is how I'm going to meet that need. So a lot of them take their basic needs and like you see these kids who are, you know, not being fed, not being clothed, not looking to have those things, but they're looking to have this relationship and they aren't realizing like, okay, you know, maybe that was your pattern you saw, but you need to also learn how to do it for yourself. And they don't know how to do that because they just have seen these, you know, patterns of people who are doing it negatively around them. So they just latch into that. Mm-hmm. And like what Alyssa said, it just is the cycle that you see these families put themselves into um, where people are like, why don't you just get out of it? But they just have no knowledge of knowing what it would look like to have a healthy, adaptive way of getting through those stresses. So so to parents with horrible coping skills create <laughs> children with horrible coping skills. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. this nasty cycle. And I want to be clear, right? Like where Haley and I work, we are seeing <laughs> the <laughs> kids extreme. that struggle the most, right? We we're sure, seeing the extreme. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to, to all you parents who listen to this, just know like <laughs> your kid won't come here. <laughs> Small chance. It is, Hopefully. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's more unlikely that your kid wouldn't come to a facility like ours, but I think the principle still kind of remains. Sure. Same, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, parents, like kids learn from what their parents do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how their parents are and how the people around them are. There's this quote that I love, love, love. Um, oh, I'm going to butcher it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase this quote that I love, love, love. It. Yeah, <laughs> paraphrase it. Lines of, like, <clears throat> like parents who are, um, like parents who are mean to their kids or whatever to their kids don't learn to hate you. They learn to hate themselves. Mm. And so even at the smallest level, that's true. 
right? Like not saying that we have a bunch of parents that are actively abusing their kids by any means, but you know, when kids aren't getting their needs met and it could be the smallest of need and it's hard being a parent because your kid pops out and you're like, you have your own personality and your own way of interacting with the world. And I'm supposed to try to figure that out. And I'm supposed to try to figure that out before you can even speak and verbalize that. So how am I supposed to, you know, it's hard. Like everybody's mm-hmm. saying, we all acknowledge that it is very hard, but, um, you know, as kids don't get their needs met, the, the thing that happens is they don't start to view the world as they don't like the world. It's they don't like themselves, yeah. right? I'm not worthy of getting this stuff. I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. I don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen kids that have functioned like two parent household. Well, like functioning adults, both have jobs, you know, whatever it is. And the kids still struggle with those things. And it's because the way that they interacted with their, the people around them, mm-hmm just sent the message to them over and over again. Like you're undeserving of this. You don't matter. You're not good enough, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then that just continues to just downward spiral. And then all of a sudden it's a belief that not only they have that they fully believe is true. I, I've read a quote. I don't, I don't have to paraphrase it cause I remember it cause it's, you know, I'm so smart. Oh my gosh. It was only, only one sentence though. It said your kid isn't, isn't giving you a hard time. Your kid's having a hard time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's another really good one. So how, so we're talking to parents. Um, and, and obviously there's a very small, if you look at the spectrum, there's a very small percentage that their daughters or sons are going to end up in your care. Yeah. Uh, it is getting bigger and bigger. And that's why I wanted to do these podcasts is to be able to help parents who have younger kids or teens or tweens that are struggling with this. And it's, and it's what everyone's struggling with, but they're on a slippery slope. They're on mm-hmm. that point where like, if they stay on this point, they could go someplace to a really bad place. I get emails from parents all the time. You know, my, uh, my son is, uh, I, he's addicted to his phone or his video games and he's in his room all day and he just goes to bed at two in the morning and he gets four hours of sleep and he drinks Red Bull all day and he doesn't <laughs> talk to anyone. And he has one friend that's on his headset that he doesn't even know. And he plays Fortnite with him all day. Mm-hmm. What could, what could go wrong? Right. Um, so you both, what I love is that you, you guys are young, right? You guys are that far displaced from the kids you deal with, right? You're kind of just like cool big sis, not mm-hmm. some, no offense to the 50 year olds out there and the Karens <laughs> and the boomers who are trying to teach these kids. Like, why are you, why are you struggling with the Snapchats and the tweet decks and the Twitter talks, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you guys have this great position because you've seen the whole spectrum here. So you're, you look ahead as a parent, right? And you, you know what signs to look for. What would you tell parents as they're raising their kids today? Let's not even throw Corona on top of this stress, yeah. right? Um, what are the signs they need to look out for? Like, what are parents, what are what do they need to be looking for so their daughter doesn't end up with you in a hospital chair wondering why they just took a bottle of pills mm-hmm. or at your school uh, trying to figure out how to function as an adult because they have zero coping skills? Like, what would your advice be for some of these people? I would first say, something that keeps entering in my head while we're talking about this is just so everyone's aware, kids are very resilient. So I know we're saying like the worst possible situation. If you, you know, if you don't know how to do it, then your kid's not going to know, but kids are very resilient. So if you say one comment, it's not all of a sudden make your kid going to go into, you know, this downward spiral of forever depression. So we're of course dealing with the idea of repeated comments and repeated things. Like you had mentioned, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's an overtime situation too. So, I mean, that's one thing I would want parents to know is that your kid has a great capacity to bounce back. Um, and what we're talking about with something that would be helpful is the idea that if you said one thing wrong, it's going to be okay. Take a deep breath and try better. And if your kid sees that you're able to make that mistake, I was just listening to another podcast about 
um, being able to apologize for mistakes and things like that. As a parent as a in front parent. of the kids. And know. I think that that's such an important thing is that be prepared. I think that's the first thing coming out the gate. Be prepared that if you make a mistake, you say something wrong, you say something that really maybe was off humor, mm. um, you're able to say, hey, I'm sorry. Because I know like for me, I've got a great family. They're very, you know, awesome. But there'd be times we'd make jokes or like <laughs> the adults make jokes and yeah. it'd be kind of deprecating for the kid and the kid, the parents just like, or know whoever what family member the kid knows it's off and they're like wait and then they're like the, wait and the, the adults like, act like this yeah like, or the what? family they're like oh it was just a joke don't worry about it yeah. and instead of being oh i'm sorry that was probably really stupid for me to say and i think that that's one of the biggest things is just be prepared like you're gonna you're not gonna be perfect at this no one is and so be okay with the idea that you're probably gonna fail and that it's more about how are you recovering from that failure mm. rather than the fact that you failed so like that for me would be the first thing I want parents to know when they're dealing with all this. Embrace the fact that you're imperfect and stop trying yeah. to pretend that you mm-hmm. are in front of your kids. Instagram parents are not real. Oh, <laughs> so not everything's going to be perfect. <laughs> so it's going to, you want to present the best, but that doesn't mean it has to be perfect. And the best for your kid is going to be that you're there and that you're trying and you're failing sometimes. Yeah. So. And also that you're, you're authentic you. Yeah. Right? Like mm. kids don't like the BS and they can tell. They yes. are very perceptive. And how, very how old, how old are these, are kids? When does their BS star, whatever it's called, like, I mean, six, seven, they're starting I'd say to it's see young. It. I mean, very young, young, right? Yeah. They can, I mean, it's like, like they know when you're being hypocritical. That's yeah. why I think teenagers tell me the most is when they, I say like, you know, why are you struggling? Like what, what's your relationship with your parents and stuff? And they're like, they're just so hypocritical. They're always yelling at me mm-hmm. for this, that, and the other. And I look at them and like, they're doing the same things or struggling with the same things. And yeah. yeah. Well, and I also think like going back to kind of the age, there's this um, study that they did. I watched it in one of my classes in grad school or undergrad I don't remember one of the grads one of the grads um (laughs) but they did this study where they were talking about attachment and they would bring parents with like less than one right they're less than one into a playroom and they'd have the moms or dads act a certain way right and one of them was that the baby would cry or the baby would be playing and mom was like super responsive right the look her facial expression she was excited and happy and the baby responds to that and then you have another one where the baby starts crying and Blank face. The blank face experiment. Right? Mm, or even yeah. like a even like a glare or something like that. And the babies would respond differently. Yeah. And so I think it's it starts like they their biggest way of communication when they're little is what they see, right? Because mm-hmm. they can't speak. And so it starts that young as far as like observing the world around them and knowing how their parents are interacting with them. They know like I remember, like, I could walk in, my dad would walk home, and I knew exactly, five years old, if he had a good or bad day at work. Yeah. Right? You don't have to say anything. You just know. And so, I think the BS meter kind of starts pretty pretty young, like, younger than you would think. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you guys talked uh, before, uh, let's talk, since we're talking about younger kids here with talk therapy, play therapy, what was it mm-hmm. you were talking about? Yeah. What exactly does that mean? Because one thing I think that we're doing such a disservice as parents to our kids growing up is so disengaged and distracted yeah. and you, you know, you talk about these kids don't learn how to cope and, and deal with their emotions, regular emotions. A lot of these babies that are now 12 since they were babies, when they cried and fussed, they got a phone put in their face yeah. yep. or an iPad put in their face. Uh, thoughts on that. So the language of children is play, right? That's how they learn about emotions. That's how they learn about connection. That's how they learn about, about boundaries And so what happens when you take that away is that they're not building the internal skills to be able to handle life, right? Mm -hmm. You want to have kids pretend to play house. You want to have kids go outside with your neighbors and, you know, eat dirt. That teaches them (laughs) 
Go get some dirt. Go get some dirt, right? <laughs> that in. teaches them pro-social <laughs> behaviors, right? Sure. How you talk to people, how you handle it when you fall off your tricycle mm-hmm. and you have to come in crying and like, you know, what happens. And so I think it's important to drill in that the language of child is play, but play is interactive with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this other study done. I feel like such a nerd, <laughs> but <laughs> where they did, um, they gave direction to two different sets of kids, right? Mm-hmm. And it the the direction was the same. These are like seven year olds. Go into this room. You're gonna go under the couch and you're gonna grab this toy, okay? And half the kids were told in person, and half the kids were told through a video screen, like a recording or like you know Zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And without fail, every single kid that was told in person went directly into the room. And there were tons of toys, right? Super distracting. But they went directly into the room, under the couch. They grabbed the toy and they came back. And every single kid that was told through the screen went in and like forgot what they were doing. Really? Super distracted. Yeah. Right. So that's not teaching them anything. That's not teaching them any skills about emotions or people or connection. And so when we talk about therapy, right, if the language of a child is play, then you have to be able to play. And even regardless of like what age, right? Like talk therapy is not super effective for teens. They need something experiential, something Mm -hmm. they're doing and actively engaged in Mm -hmm. rather than just sitting there and saying, I had a good week or I had a bad week because of this. That doesn't change much. It doesn't even change much for adults. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and so when it comes to like the actual therapeutic measures, like I went to a training and they were saying that if you do something through talk therapy and review the same thing, it takes them like 400 times of reviewing the same thing to get the concept where when you do it with play therapy, it takes them like it's under 20. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe six times and they get the concept. And so it's the idea that, just motor skills are there. Like there's a reason why with kids, when they're toddlers, we're just talking about this because Alyssa has a puppy now. And so (laughs) they do mouthing (laughs) and mouthing is this thing where they take things and they put them in their mouths and they're experiencing them and they learn better with that. Here's an arm. I know. Here's an arm. Here's, here's my owner's yeah hand. Um, (laughs) but with kids, it's the same thing. And so there's a reason why it's not like you go up to a kid who's like a couple months old and you go, here's a ball, you bounce it. You know, the kid's going to be like, what the crap? First of all, I don't know what you're saying. Second of all, I'm just going to do what I want. Um, but if you give it to them and they're experiencing it, you see the kids start like putting their mouth, they kind of see what it is. Oh, it's got resistance. They kind of throw it and they're like, Oh, it bounces and they learn. Um, and when it comes to therapy, so I love play therapy a lot just because I personally cannot sit in a session and just be like, how are you doing? Cause then the kids are like, I don't care. Like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't <laughs> trust you. First of all, second of all, this is boring. And I don't want to couch do is this. too soft. Exactly. Yeah. They will legit just fall asleep. But, um, so with play therapy, the great thing about it, and I've done it with littler kids, uh, I've done it with adolescents. I've done it with adults. I love doing it with adults because as much as kids' languages play, adults, that's a language they've forgotten. Mm. That is actually, it's a lot better to use sometimes because you're making the adult act like the kid with the basic needs saying, what's your basic need you need? Mm. Um, and they're able to reconnect in a way and not have it be like, oh, I'm too old for this. I need to explain it to you verbally because it's mm. like, you don't know what you're saying. Like, you need What is to- an example of that? Like, so uh, if d- I'm an adult, I come and sit down. Like, what, what we sit mm. on the ground, like playing like jacks? I mean, it's up, to, it's up to them. I give the option. Um, so I have like a bunch of things in my office. And yes, I'm dealing with teenagers, but a lot of them like actually are more functioning at a level of a younger kid than mm-hmm. always at the, I mean, whether it be because of trauma, whether it be because of birth complications, whatever it is, but a lot of them are functioning more at a younger self. So like with the teenager, I mean, it's kind of the same with adults. I'd have a bunch of things out and be like, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And then letting the kid decide. I think that's important for parents to know too. Like it's not just in the therapy office. Like if you set a game in front of the kid and go, we're going to play this game. Like the kid's going to be like, I don't know if I want to play it. Sure. But if you give them like a couple options, then you're actually also appealing to the kid and like, hey, I care about what you think. 
and we can do this. So they're already getting one need met of I'm being comforted. Someone's invested in me. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it better. Um, and then from there, it's the idea that, Hey, do you have any roles you want to like set up? Like, what do you want this to look like? And have the kid be able to say, Hey, like for Uno, I know how to play Uno. Sure. I'm an adult. I've been doing this for a while. But the kids, I'll be like, hey, which rules do you like to play? And they're like, well, you know, you can stack the cards on top of each other with the same card. And it's cool to see, like, for them, like, their moral compass of right and wrong. This is okay. This is not okay. Um, when it comes to adults, it's kind of the same thing of, like, hey, do you, like, we're going to play war, you know, with cards. So what do you what do you think? But as they're playing, they're building confidence that you're trustworthy because you're not just laughing at them, being mm -hmm. like, oh, you don't know how to play. It <laughs> sucks to be you. Um, but, like, you're – you're building that connection, which what Alyssa was saying before, connection's such a huge part of any therapeutic measure or parenting measure or any interaction with a human being. Um, they talk about substance abuse is like the opposite of substance abuse is independence. No, it's connection because sure. it's being connected to a living human who's helping your needs, not a substance who has no emotional interest in you. Um, but the connection part is going to be so important for you with like the gaming um, because then you're able to you know, get excited for each other's wins, be invested in each other. If you're losing, like they also can learn how to become more empathetic. Yeah. Um, how to handle a loss, how to yeah. take the L with yeah. some respect. And mm -hmm. you don't have to let them win. I know some people are like, I always let the kids win. And I'm like, no, like they need to I never also, let my kids win. No. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that I'm really great at the game. It's just the idea of like, I, I was just playing with a, um, one of the girls who's had been having a really rough time the other day. And she was teaching me the game, so I didn't really know what I was playing. It was, I forget what it was, uh, James Bond. I didn't even know that was like a game you could play with cards, but apparently it is. I've never heard that. Yeah. I, yeah, they I play up, Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah that's a video like that. game. Now. No, yeah, this is like a card game. And she was teaching me how to play, and I was not getting it. And it was cool because I looked like an idiot. So she was like explaining. Role reversal. That's probably pretty yeah. cool for her to be like, well, I'm teaching the adult how to do this. Exactly. Yeah. And often we're doing that with technology, but I think with games it's almost more exciting because, mm. you know, it's a physical, tangible thing that can show you and play with you and get you excited. And when I started winning, she got excited too, which was kind of cool. cool. So it wasn't like, so with play therapy, a lot of it is the idea of just that rapport, we call it, like that relationship building. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of parents who they'll hear I'm doing that and they go, well, when are you actually going to do therapy? Like why? So I'm paying you to just like play <laughs> with my kid. And I'm like, well, first of all, I've had it with like a four-year-old. I'm like, what else do you think she's going to talk about her like cognitive emotional state with me? Goo, at this goo, point? Ga, ga. Yeah, no, she's going to play dolls with me and yeah. she's going to also learn like, when a mom and dad doll are playing with each other, is it acceptable that they're nice to each other? Are they not? Oh, are you seeing something? Like it helps kind of mirror the playing often of what they're seeing at home. Um, and so a lot of my parents that ask like, what can I do? I'm like, play with your kid. Sure. Because if you're wondering what they're seeing at the house, they're going to show you. Like if they're, if you're playing a card game with one of your kids and they're yelling at you and they're like being, just wonder like, where did they see that? Because they're mirroring and this is a safe place they can mirror that in a place that's not going to cause damage. So they're going to let things out that maybe you didn't realize you've been doing. Um, and that's the same as what we do in therapy with them. And with adults, I mean, the whole thing is connection too. You're going to a therapist because you feel disconnected. You don't feel like you know how to manage your own emotions. Um, the play therapy aspect lets them be able to get that need met. And then they also start opening up verbally more because they have more of those skills too. And you talk about how the majority of change that happens in within a therapeutic session or with, you know, however many sessions you do is actually the relationship. Mm. Right. And, and I think that just goes, that backs all of the research that's been done about human beings in regards to connection is you having a person that's a hundred percent there for you. Yes. To focus on building that connection 
and doing whatever, like whatever it is, right? Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, is huge. I said I was in Portland speaking and on the panel after I spoke, one of the ladies was a therapist, teenage therapist out there somewhere, I forget her name. But she was talking about not using these words, but she was talking about uh, making connection with your kids like this. And, and she said, you know what, parents? She's like, try and find 12 minutes a day yeah, per kid, right? Which is hard in Utah sometimes when you have like, you know, 12. <laughs> so I, 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 yeah. Uh, but she said, try and find 12 minutes a day. She's like, if it's your six, seven, eight-year-old, sit down and play a board game. Let them make the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, just let them do whatever and, and just be there. Put your phone away. Look at them. Laugh at their dumb jokes. Everything. Uh, and when they're like a tween, you know, like I got a sixth grader and uh, and an eighth grader. My sixth grader, like, if we want to do that, we just, she's more, a little more athletic. She wants to go outside and play catch and stuff. And my 13-year-old, like, we'll just sit on the ground and I'll give her the ox cord. Be like, pick some songs. Let's just jam. Mm-hmm. Hey, why don't you pick, you know, on Alexa, like, let's just throw some songs and just sit there. And it's funny because I remember someone posted, I don't even know who it was, someone posted on Instagram a while ago, and she got lit up because she's like, I try and spend five minutes a day of of <laughs> just straight, undistracted time with each of my kids. And I was like, oh my gosh, like only five minutes. And I almost wanted to pull, like poll everyone be like, most of you aren't even doing five minutes. Yeah, like don't, yeah. how are you throwing shade at this lady for, I mean, five minutes is five minutes more than most parents are doing one-on-one undistracted mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So what would, what would you guys say to parents like daily, you know, cause parents are the, we're so busy. No one's busy right now. Some people are, we're so busy. Uh, this doesn't take a lot of effort no. to do. Well, and honestly, the message for huge that, results, the message that you send when you're like, I'm so busy. Sorry, kid. I don't have time for that. What you're saying to them is I don't have time for you. You're not important to me. Yes. Right. And so like one of my teachers in school talked about how her kid, like she'd be, was this undergrad or grad school um, or overgrad? Overgrad. Overgrad school. Definitely (laughs) overgrad school. Um, I need an eye roll sound (laughs) on one of these. We got (laughs) overgrad. But she would talk about how she would get home from work, right? She was working mom nine to five. So she'd get home and she'd be preparing dinner and her kid would be like, mom, 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 come play with me. And she'd bug her for like an hour. And she's like, dude, like I got, I'll, I'll, I promise later, later, later. And so she started to pay attention and she's like, you know what? I would sit down and get with her for two minutes, yeah, right? While the pasta's boiling and be like, how was your day? Right? Eye contact. You're just looking at her. She's holding her hands, stroking her face. Like, babe, tell me how your day was. How did it go? What was something good that happened today? And then she'd be like, blah, blah, blah. Okay, bye, mom. I'm going to go play. Right? That was All enough. All it took was two minutes to like. <laughs> need met. Need yeah. met. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you have time to make the dinner. Right? Yeah. So it's not necessarily about the quantity. It's honestly about the quality. Mm-hmm. And like what the kids really want to know is that you hear them, you love them. Yeah. Right. Seen, heard, loved. Right. Yeah. The big three. Right? Also involving them with what you're doing. Like another thing with that too is I could see some parents be like, but I really need like the baby needs fed. This needs happening. And it's like, well, then involve your kid with it. Be like, hey, you want to help me out? Let's talk while we're doing it. Yeah. Or, hey, if you help me out with dinner right now, I will give you like 20 minutes after dinner and it'll just be you. But that whole time that you're helping, you're doing something with them. They're getting that attention because they're like, I get to help out. Like my favorite thing with therapy is sometimes I'll have like a big project we have to get done to like, I don't know, make a poster for something or do something around the campus. Um, and I'll involve one of my kids and be like, Hey, you know, um, my kids, meaning one of my students who I work with, sure. um, I'll be like, Hey, I have to get this done. Do you want to come with me? And it's interesting because during this whole thing, they're like, Oh, yeah, I'd love to. And sometimes it's like I'm mopping the floor outside my office or I'm vacuuming or I'm like with COVID happening, I'm wiping everything down. And so I'm like, can you just stand here while I do this? And we'll chat when I'm doing it. And the kid's like, yeah, that'd be so great. And they're like super excited to be like able to do an event. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it's not glamorous by any means. Sure. It's not like I'm like, let's paint our nails and do our hair together. Because it's, 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 not the not. it's not the activity. No. It's, it's the fact. time. Yeah, right? yeah and the, the fact time. that you want them with you. Like yeah. the fact that, like Alyssa said, like the idea that you're not important enough for me at this moment to include you, it's mm-hmm. the idea that you're c- including them. It's like the cool kid on campus where you want to be with them and you'll do anything you can to like do activities with them you're that kid, you know, you're the, you're that person they're looking up to. And if you're the one who's saying you're not worth it, they're also going to see that as a pattern with anyone else who's giving them issues is that I have to do bigger things to get their attention Mm -hmm. rather than just give them the two minutes they need. And that's when you start seeing what everyone's like, that's attention seeking. But really that's just people who are not getting their need met. Mm -hmm. And it's happened enough that they are now finding negative ways to get that need met. Mm -hmm. And this, this is obviously more, uh, uh, about when kids want to spend time with their parents, right? When they're yeah. young. So what about the parents whose kids are hitting that twe- the teen years <laughs> where it's like they don't want to spend time with their parents or at least they're, mm-hmm. they're saying they don't want to spend time. You know, parents, uh, a lot of times when they talk to me, they have the teenager like, oh, like they're just, they're so, they're like roommates in a house now and mm-hmm. their kid doesn't want to spend time with them. And it's almost like they've lost all the rapport, right? With their own kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, it might be like a trust. It might be just whatever. Uh, what do you say to parents? Like, how do how do parents rekindle this with their kids? They're at that age or stage where they feel like they don't want to spend time with their parents. They're not going to just sit down on the ground and play Monopoly or mm-hmm. you know listen to songs together. Like, what what advice do you have for those parents? Um, I think one of the biggest things is number one, when you feel like your kid doesn't want to spend time with you, <laughs> none of that's true. Yeah. Right there, we go. They do. Do you hear that, parents? Right. <laughs> They they're do. Lying they might just—they're lying. They do. They just don't know how, right? Mm-hmm. Or they don't trust that you'll be able to understand them, mm-hmm. right? One of the things like that happens when you're a teenager is you start to feel all of these different emotions, and you don't know. As adults, we learn how to sift through those for the most part. Some of us do, um, but as teenagers, you don't know how that right, yeah. how to do that, right? And so they don't feel understood, and they get frustrated. I remember, <laughs> like. So I don't know if you guys can tell this from the, from the podcast so far, but I, <laughs> I think fast and I talk fast. And I remember my mom, I'd be trying to tell my mom about my day and I'd be like, and so she'd be like, wait, sorry, can you repeat yourself? And what like, was that? Slow down. <laughs> Slow down. She's like, what? Sorry, I missed it. What? Because I just come in and I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. and she was doing something completely different. I didn't get her attention. I just started talking and then she'd be like, sorry, can you repeat that? And I'd be like, you don't care about me. I'm out of this place. Right. Yeah. And so what I wanted was for my mom. Love your mom. But what I wanted was that was for her to just like automatically know exactly what I needed, mm-hmm. which of course she can't because she's not me. Um, but so just know that like your, your kids still want you, your teens still want you. Um, and I think one of the biggest things is it doesn't change versus when you're a kid versus mm-hmm. adult, like what Haley was saying, mm-hmm. it's about what they want and their, their activities. They're working on their relationship of how they relate to adults now. Right. Like that's that's one of the big teenage things is they want to know what it means to be an adult. They're on their way to that and how they currently relate to you as their parents and et cetera. Um, And so if you notice that your kid likes video games like, hey, can you teach me how to play this? Yes. Or how to turn it on. on. (laughs) This looks fun. Or, hey, I've heard you talking about this movie that's coming out. Sure. Can you go? Do you want to come with me? Mm-hmm. Like but that, I, that blow the kid's mind. He's like, dad asked me to go to the movie. Like, yeah. We, uh, we keep our kids, you know, we're tech free pretty much. We got a TV. I've been no phones, no social media, no iPads, video games, like over two years. 
Uh, and my oldest, she's in eighth grade and she's wanting to, you can see it. Like, you know, everything mm-hmm. we're talking about, she's wanting to like express herself more. She gets, if you don't, if you don't hear what she said, like she pouts off and she's like, how dare you hate my guts. It's like, no, I didn't hear you because I'm <laughs> cooking bacon. And it's loud. Yeah. But even just last night I was like, I was like, Hey, um, when the kids, when the little, your brother says go to bed, it's like, do you want to stay up and like watch the office with me? Her brain exploded. Yeah. The f- and it wasn't spending mm-hmm. time with me. It was like this whole feeling of like, dad is, I'm not just like, you know, little baby anymore. Like dad's treating me more like an adult. Like I, I, I know there's parents and there's people who think like, you can't treat your kids like an adult. But one of the best parenting advice I ever got uh, from a lady who heard it from an expert when I was at Costco. She's like, I just got back to this amazing parent seminar. I don't remember said, but she said, uh, you, you kind of want to talk to your kids as they grow up uh, almost the same way you'd want your boss at work to talk to you. And that was, that was life-changing for me. Like, even with my six-year-old and my 10-year-old, like, when they do something stupid, I'd be like, why are you like, you know, why are you hitting your brother? I just want to use that. <laughs> it's more of like, okay, it's like, okay, hold on a second here. Can you two come over for a second? Like, mm-hmm. let's, can you, someone explain to me what just happened here? Uh, as opposed to just screaming, yelling, and uh, yeah. how my dad taught me and how he talked to me. Um, I think there's guy. I, f- I feel like uh, if more parents, as their kids are in this age, uh, where it's like, oh, they want to spend so much time with me, and like we used to play catch all the time, but now they just want to look at their phones. If you let them, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. If you let the Xbox and the phone and TikTok <laughs> take over, they're, it's going to take them over. I got an email today from a dad in Colorado. Hey, uh, we missed your speech when you were out here a few months ago. My son's so addicted to his phone. He's addicted to TikTok. He's addicted to Snapchat. He's addicted to his phone. And like he, he's on it all the time, and, and uh, he's a total pain in the A and like, I don't know mm-hmm. what to do. Uh, do you have a video I could send him of you talking <laughs> about this? I'm like, what? Just tell him. I almost wanted to film myself being like, hey, you're the dad. Why don't you go spend some time with him, right? Yeah. This isn't normal behavior. Kids, yeah. healthy kids with healthy homes like and really good connection with their parents aren't sitting at home like in their bedroom scrolling TikTok for eight hours a day. Well, but those are the kids that you deal with and the kids mm-hmm. I deal with that talk to me and say, I'm suicidal, I'm depressed, and I hate my life, and there's no point living anymore. I would say, too, I mean, if we're telling everyone that the, you know, the basic need of a human is connection, it doesn't make sense to be like, but when they're a teenager, that goes away. Like, yeah. that that doesn't really make sense when they're a teenager. And then it's just what you guys are saying. It's how you present it. It's what you're doing. And especially, like, if they're trying to find connection and they're trying to do it through a screen, first of all, they're going to realize not very quickly because they're still trying to look for it, you know, years after that they're not going to get that. And they're going to think, Oh, the more I up that maybe the more connection I'll get, yeah. but they're really not going to get that basic connection. It's, it's a high. They're always going to chase and never find. And they're not going to, yeah, they're not going to find any resolution in that. So with it, and I want to be clear too, treating your child like an adult doesn't mean you have to give them adult manner or matters. Like you don't need to introduce your kid to things before sure. they need to, but it's more the idea of, Especially as a teenager, you look at the basic stages of change. It's one of the times that they're learning how to be more independent versus reliant on a parent. Um, so that's completely natural. But to teach your child how to be independent by saying, I want to go see my family. I want to be part of my family because you've already built that relationship with them. That's what we mean by them learning how to have independence is them deciding on my own. I could be going out with all my friends doing who knows what or doing something away from the family. But I'm choosing because I have a good family relationship. I kind of want to be with them. It sounds like fun. Or I like the idea that, you know, my mom or my dad want to do something with me. And Mm -hmm. I had the same situation where when I was a kid, I remember I got to be like, I want to say like 15 or 16. 
maybe a little younger. I don't know. But on Christmas night, it would be always like Christmas Eve. We'd all go to bed at a certain time because, you know, Santa was coming. Mm, we couldn't yeah. be there. But when I was a little bit older, my parents were like, hey, do you want to like, we have this new movie, Step Up. Like that was when it came out. It was super <laughs> fun. It was a cool movie. And it was like, hey, like we just got it. Do you want to watch it? And I was like, yeah. And like in my but head, I was like, 930. but Santa's coming at 10. No, but it was just one of those things where I was like, yeah. And I remember every year after that, that'd be the thing where the younger kids got sent to bed and I got to stay up and watch the movie. And then I went to bed. I wasn't like super late, but it was like, yeah. it was a thing where my parents and I also saw the office with my dad. That was a big thing. Like with my mom, and my dad, yeah. just watching things like that. So I think it's just the idea, like you guys are saying, like find something. I mean, if like you said, if you're saying let's go play Monopoly, of course your kid's not going to be like, oh, geez, dad, no way. Like, Golly, I, I, gee, a, a four-hour game that has <laughs> no end? <laughs> Which I personally hate Monopoly. Yeah. But <laughs> I like it's just one of those things where you need to like also be like with a boss. Your boss knows that they're not going to make a great connection with you if the team building exercise is like canoeing and everyone sure. doesn't want to do that. They're going to try to find something that the whole team wants to do. So they're invested. So if we're putting that into our work, we need to do that with our home too. So it just makes sense for both sides. And it's so, like you said, I love how you said that even at their worst, like they still need you. Right. And they, and and I tell parents, I'm like, listen, you, I found, we did the math 940. That's how many Saturdays you have from birth to 18. And that's like not (laughs) a lot lot. of time. And if you look at the grand scheme, like I I keep looking at my daughter, I'm like, she's 13, almost 14. I'm like, I have like four years to make sure this kid (laughs) can handle life and function society. Mm -hmm. And as you look at where we're headed, it is a scary slope that we're headed as a country, even as a society with, young people growing up with no ability to cope with any of these issues. Um, if we think about the suicide rate and mental health, I mean, it's just going to get worse. And then we throw in COVID. It's just like, so, so my last question for both of you, since you guys get to deal with amazing kids across all the whole entire spectrum and parents who some parents are really well intentioned and they really, really care. And some parents have totally checked out and they want every other person to raise their kid for them from coaches and schools, teachers and church leaders, things like that. Um, what if you had a parent and you could like really let them have it, grab them by the cheeks and shake their head and just be like, just do this yeah. <laughs> or stop doing this. Like what would be those couple nuggets I mean, it's not going to cure everything, but like uh, to, to make sure that you're helping and not hurting your kids become functioning adults. One of my, and I'm going to say this and then I'm going to explain it. Okay. Stop saving your kid. Ooh. Right. Okay. And the reason that I had to preface it, that I'm going to explain this is um, one of the things that kids struggle with is learning how to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. And learning how to bounce back and stand back up when they have been beaten down. And countless times, like, oh, I mean, I have friends who are teachers and, you know, even in the the therapy world, like parents will come in and I have one friend who's a teacher and without fail, every time her kid like doesn't get a good grade, she's being yelled at by the mom. Why are you doing this to my child? Okay, well, he didn't turn in half of his assignments. Well, you gave him the bad grade and you have to fix it. Like, okay, what that child is learning is that number one, he is not capable of taking care of his own problems. And number two, you will always be there to save the day, Mm. right? What's going to happen when that kid is 40 years old in a job and not doing what his responsibilities, right? Yeah. He will lose his job. So it's important for your, ki- for your kids to fail and for you to be there when they have to learn how to stand back up and be like, yeah, you know what? Life is really hard sometimes. Not swoop in and just fix it don't for them. Don't swoop in and just save the day. Yeah. Don't be an a-hole about it, right? You don't have to yeah. like push in their face and be like, you suck. Like, look what you did, <laughs> right? But um you know, I read the story of this kid who spilled a slushy all over the ground, mm. right? And he was like a, 
a restaurant and he was super embarrassed. And his dad was like, you know what? Sometimes we spill slushies. Like, I'll show you how to clean it up. Here's how we clean it up. Here's how we clean it up. Yeah. Let's go get some. As opposed to screaming at him or like even worse, like bust it, bail out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so teach your kids how to make it through. Like if you have a kid who's failing in class, for example, hey, Matt, why don't we go talk to your teacher together and figure out what you can do. Right. And then when you're with your kid, allow him to speak. This isn't a just time where your kid sits quietly and you're yelling at the teacher. This is the time where you get to teach your kid how to meet and how to problem solve. Right. Don't fix your kids problems all the time. Sometimes you may have to step in, but a lot of times they have to learn and you can help them learn. But just, yeah. Stop sweeping and stop saving them. Yeah. We hear the lawnmower parents and helicopter parents and things like that. And I think parents are most like well-intentioned, but there's this crisis of parenting where we're so afraid to let our kids fail. And I'm trying to figure out why I think if someone could figure out why parents are so afraid to let their kids fail, I don't know if we're all just, my, yeah, what I, I mean, are we all just, how did we become the most insecure generation of parents ever? Say, is it Facebook? Like what is our it? Our kids failing is a reflection of us. It means we failed. But what, what made that happen? Because my dad could care less if I failed growing up. He wasn't even around. His dad could care less too. Why is it this generation of parents that, that have turned their kids into an arm of their own being and their identity? Well, I mean, you see the cause and effect parents where nowadays, I mean, we track numbers. I mean, we've talked about stats. We've talked about studies. And it's the idea that the parents, in a lot of ways, they're relating that to their kids of the idea of when my when my kid is doing well, then that's like one more point towards me. And it's, you know, maybe they're not comparing it to every other kid, but they're comparing it for themselves. We're like, I could have had 30 points because my kid could have done this, this, and this. Sure. But I'm only at 15, and that really sucks because, you know, if they're failing, then that means that I'm not teaching them the right thing because we have to be good at everything now. It's not just good at one thing. Yeah. It's not like, you know, little Johnny is really good at softball, and we're just happy he is. It's like, no, he needs to be in JV this, JV that. He needs to be varsity this. And it's the idea that, like, we can't be happy with just being good at one thing. Um, like you get criticism or positive feedback from someone and it's like, Hey, you're not really good at this. We instead go, or you are really great at this, but this is something you need to work on. Do I listen to that positive? No, I'm listening to the idea of like, but I'm not good at something else. Like Mm. I personally have a really hard time with that as an adult and with kids, especially they're getting that pressure. And so it's the idea with parents. I think at least on my end, I know we all have different ideas. It's the idea that we've been told you know, our kids are the next generation. They're the people who are going to be after you and you're making your stance on them. And if they're failing them, what does that mean about you? I failed as a parent. And I also think it's more broadcasted as well, right? Like the, I'm going to sneeze here. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's been coming all day. (laughs) There it was. Allergies. Am I right? Anyway, is it out? That's my favorite game now. Is it allergies or is it Corona? Every time I, I cough or sneeze. Taken every day. I know. Yeah. Multiple times. Um, but I also think like, the, you know, the parents that have teenagers right now are the people that have been, that were kind of in that transitional time. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like our, our parents, they grew up, they didn't have the huge exposure with technology immediately. Like their kid's life or their life wasn't broadcasted everywhere. Yeah. But even parents now with the ones that have teenagers, they have been through this transition themselves as well. Right. Like yeah. it's not just 16 year olds that have TikToks and Facebooks. It's also 40 year olds. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Our parents. And so I think it's one of those things that, say, that the same issues yeah. that the kids are dealing with with social media, we deal with as well. 
and that like it has the effect on our brains too. Yeah. The fact that we post about our kids accomplishment and we get, get likes on that. We feel good about that. And so we continue to seek after that. And what happens when you have a kid that you feel like is a dud? How is that a reflection on you? <laughs> they you made know? their bed today, guys. Here's my son, Kyle, who's uh, in the backyard chasing chickens and he's 31. I, I, I agree a lot with that. That's a whole other subject, but just, I, I, I tell parents a lot and I say if they're really struggling, their kids really struggling, I always kind of say, you know, the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. Like, how are you handling your own technology yeah. and your own social media? And how uh, how are you letting it ruin your day constantly by seeing and posting and and uh, being addicted to the all that stuff? Um, a lot of times with parents, I'll say, you know what? Why don't you as a parent just take a break, take a week mm-hmm. off Facebook uh, when you get in a little community, especially where we live in Utah, where like everyone is in every tribe and like you can't escape and everyone you see mm-hmm. is a dance and soccer and church and, and you can't escape anyone. It's so competitive. Um, if you just stop worrying about the Joneses or the Brinkerhoffs or whatever it is, that was one of the best things ever was when two years ago I unfollowed everyone on Instagram, but my wife mm-hmm. and it, it was awesome. I don't have to worry about, I mean, the people who matter will text me. They'll send me photos of their trips. Um, or they'll text me or call me or send me the memes as opposed to just posting them. But I didn't have to, I, I didn't even realize how bummed out I would get just looking at, Oh my gosh, look at that husband who took his wife there. Took that. And it was affecting how I parented and, and it was affecting how I was a spouse. And I don't care what it says. If you're having a hard time in your marriage, it's going to affect how you parent hundred percent. Um, and so I think if, if parents can just chill out on, you know, Facebook and get off Instagram for a week or unfollow the, I always tell people unfollow the people that are stealing your joy, making you unhappy, making you feel like you're not good enough. I tell that to teenagers and they're like, that was such good information. Could you tell that to my mom? (laughs) Like, Oh gosh. You know? Um, okay. So those were good. Was that, did we, Um, yeah. One of those shake the cheek, grab by the face. Stop doing this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the only thing I would say is just kind of from what earlier, just let your kids know it's okay to fail with it, but let them see you fail. Um, and not in a way of like, you know, your worst moment, make it sure that your kids see it. But if, Dad just got fired. (laughs) Dad tripped upstairs intentionally, (laughs) you know, things like that. I mean, I just, for me, I was really grateful for the fact that I had parents who, I mean, they weren't perfect. None of us are, but as parents, they would let me know if there was something they needed to do better. Um, There were times too that maybe they were self-conscious because they're human beings and they didn't say it. And it wasn't like I was, you know, looking for those times to be like, ha, you should have said sorry or ha, you should have done this. But it just showed me like, for me, how that's an important thing to see um, parents be able to come, not just apologize to kids, but also like to each other, to other people, or just be able to say, Hey, I need to work on that. That's something I can just work on. Even if it didn't hurt anyone, just being like, you know, maybe I need to do better with time management. Maybe that's, maybe I need to do better with this. I couldn't spend 15 minutes with you today. I'm sorry, but Mm. Hey, next time I'm going to try to make it so I can spend like 20 or 30 minutes with you. That'd be great. Um, because what you do is if kids think parents are perfect or adults are perfect, you're just going to have a bunch of people who are going to grow up to pretend like they need to be perfect and no one can tell them otherwise. Um, which that is not what we need because if we're talking about resiliency, we're talking about coping, a lot of it's the give and take. And it's the idea we want to be the best, but we also want to make sure that we can show that even at our worst, it's still maintainable. That's the difference between our girls and right now the people who are on the outs, um, who are outside of the facility, the girls in the facility, they think if I fail, I'm just a screw up and that's it. And they have a hard time bouncing back. But if you have a better resiliency, a better sense of self, you know, okay, I failed, but that doesn't mean me as a person, Haley is a failure. It's a failure yeah. It just means that I need to change that. And so if kids can see that, and like we said, with modeling about play, it's the same with every other behavior, but if they can see that you're modeling, um, 
that I can work on this. And it doesn't mean I have to tell them all my weaknesses, all the things I'm working on in my personal life, but give them chances to see that you're working. Um, It lets them be able to know that when they get to that point of adulthood, that doesn't mean they have to know everything. It also will probably help them feel less like a failure as an adult because they'll realize, I think there's a certain point, we've talked about this before, you get to a certain age and you're like, oh, I didn't realize adults made this many mistakes or that we're really like, this sucks. Like, I don't like this whole life. Can I go back to nap time? Um, But (laughs) I think it's the idea that they can realize being an adulthood is going to be great and you're going to have so much fun and you're going to love it. But there are going to be some downtimes and it's okay to say it sucks. You don't have to be like the glamorous life that we're all leaving all the time. Um, So I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed, especially with parents. They're just so nervous that their kids get to see their human. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's okay. Like... I didn't realize my parents were crazy till I was married with kids. Like I, I looking back at it now that I saw the red, I'm like, Oh, that was probably a red flag. You know, they were doing that. But But mom uh, took a lot of breaks. Like I wonder what was going on. Mom always went into the garage and came back and she looked a little dizzy afterwards. I know dad had his moments, but yeah. yeah, And nowadays you just realize like, Oh, my parents are human and they're learning how to handle emotions like the rest of us. And just because they're, past the age of, you know, whatever you want to call as an adult doesn't mean they get a manual. That's like, now that you are fully capable of doing everything. Here's part two. Yeah. You Mm. don't get that. So I think kids need to see that and they'd be more willing to come tell you their mistakes, which is part of the idea is kids aren't coming to parents and that's when they get in trouble. Um, if they see that you're willing to come and talk to them about what you can work on too. I was thinking about, I spoke at uh, something, what was it called? Young Presence Organization, which was basically a bunch of really wealthy CEOs of businesses and they had their kids there. So we had one guy talking to the dads and parents and I was talking to the kids and the guy who spoke to me, this guy, Jason Reed, he's a really cool guy uh, who has, what's this called? Uh, he's got a cool foundation. Chooselife.org. Uh, he asked all the dads that were there and these are like titans of industry, right? <laughs> Everyone there was driving minimum a Tesla, that kind of thing. <laughs> And he said, all right, dads, raise your hand if you were bullied growing up at all. And of course, every hand went up. And then he said, okay, now raise your hand if you've talked to your teenage son or daughter about that, how you were bullied. And like one, two hands went up, right? And he's like, right there. He's like, why are we not bullying and, and going through these problems and all the yuck we went through as parents? Like, I, did, did we all forget that that's what made us who we are? That's what made us who we are. Why are we trying to rob that? Rob all that from that. I think there's bullying. I think bullying sucks, but it absolutely plays a good part in growing up, right? And why are we robbing that ability from our kids to be able to handle this stuff, right? Uh, So anyways, that was so good. Thank you guys so much uh, for coming in here. I think we're gonna do a lot more of these and talk about all these other little subjects (laughs) and drink our swigs or whatever these so delicious. So delicious. They have way too much whatever you got in yours. <laughs> that was like ordering. I ordered hers for her just so you guys know. And it was like 19 ingredients. And the guy's like, puree. he was like dripping things in. Like he was like some like chemist. He's like, all right, carbon dioxide, glycerol, right? Uh, but that was awesome. So anyway, so thank you so much for coming in. If you want to keep up on what we're doing here on the Colin Carter podcast, uh, you can go ahead and follow everything uh, on Instagram at Colin Karchner. And uh, please realize that we, you know, these two are, are professionals, but this is information that if you need help, or your kid's struggling, please go get them some therapy. Go take them to an expert here. And uh, and let's just, let's save some more kids.